Let's do a deal deconstructed, all the way from choosing the deal to do, all the way through to getting it closed and funded. This is a video I recorded about two years ago with a very small group of new syndicators. It's kind of the kind of work that I do a lot of times with my clients today, though we don't offer the coaching program anymore. I hope you find it useful. Basically what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing a deal deconstructed. Now we're going to go from beginning of the deal all the way to the close of escrow. Uh, you all can see my screen, I suppose. Uh, so I will go ahead and get started. So how do we do this? So we've got a syndication that's formed. You've decided to start looking for properties. You've got your fit. Uh, and your fit is uh, basically what you're looking for is you're looking for medium to low risk properties. You've decided you're looking for properties that are something like mixed use or something with some sort of retail component to it uh, in not A areas, uh, but maybe those B and C, uh, maybe even D if it was the right opportunity. Uh, but that risk level needs to be moderate to low. Um, you're looking at uh, for a first deal, somewhere in a price point of a total cost of between three million and five million, and these are just a scenario. So this isn't me telling you what you need to do for your own uh, founder investment theory. This is just the scenario that we're working with. So, so let's start. Oops, with the fit. So you're you're looking at moderate to low. I get a little bit finer point. Moderate to low uh, risk, that's better. Uh, you are looking at between three to five million to start in um, total cost. You're looking at B to C, maybe D areas. And it should be mixed use, flex, and have a retail component. All right. Does that all make sense? That's sort of the, the basis that we're going to be going through. So uh, to do this, you do a survey of the area and you identify three properties. So we have the first property here. We'll call this one Wilson. You have another property here. We'll call this Xavier. And then I realized when I was taking my notes, I skipped Y. Uh, so this one's uh, Zapier. We don't have a Y. Maybe you thought, maybe you saw a Y, but you immediately ruled it out. So what are these three properties? These are three properties that kind of made it into your bucket to kind of check out. Because you all, you know, every day you're you're doing your base hits, you're going through properties, you're meeting with investors, and you are just trying to find things that are worth looking a little bit deeper into. So let's start with Wilson. So Wilson is a flex. Oops. Wow. We zoomed way over. Okay. Wilson is a Flex building. Oh, digressing for one quick second. If for those people who watch, who are watching this live on Workplace, just FYI, we've noticed that it that Workplace doesn't really stream it in a very good, high quality image, and so this will be. I'll re-upload this as the better image, so you'll be able to see it more clearly. Uh, it's just a. a 
because we're trying to stream through Zoom and then it gets priority over going to workplace. That's why it happens. Um, so it will be uploaded. So sorry about the digression. So Wilson, it is a flex building. It is out at 3.3 million at a 8.5 cap. Uh, and it is, um, so it has uh, eight tenants. And it has um, a billboard and a cell tower. So uh, I should also say one of the things you're always that that you're really looking for on fit two is your strategy. And I forgot to write that down here. So our our strategy here is a value add strategy. Um, and so your guess uh, of the location is a C plus, and you're guessing whatever your play is would be probably somewhere around a five-year hold. Uh, so let's, uh, I actually have to move these, oops. Let's move these a little bit over. Make a little more room. Okay, so Xavier is a uh, is a triple net development project. Um, so it kind of crosses between maybe retail uh, a retail use, but it's a triple net project. It's a development project that's come to you from a developer that you know, um, and the total amount they need to raise uh, is four point five million. Uh, there's no cap rate because this is a development deal, so they don't know. But your best estimate is that it'd probably be about a 30% return. So that's a really good return, obviously. Um, it is in a B location. And it would be a three-year hold. Uh, this, oh, I should add, would be... Uh, We'll put a moderate risk. This will be a very high risk. All developments tend to be high or very high risk. Uh, Zapier is a multi-tenant retail. And these are all properties that I've underwritten before too. I've just modified just slight things about them. Um, so they're the properties I've I've done, I've worked on, they're they are uh, they are real, so we're working with with pretty live data. Um, so Zapier is a multi-tenant retail. It is priced at five point two at a eight cap. The location is a C minus, it's a 10 year hold. Now the location is a C minus here because it's in the middle of nowhere. So it, it's just, there's nothing really around it and it's a multi-tenant retail space. Um, it is a 10 year hold and you might think it, because it's a multi-tenant retail, there's not really, a, and there's no real ad, uh, value added component to it, that it would be fairly low risk. But as you look at it, you know, everything is kind of just pointing to just risk of being in the middle of nowhere, risk as to its actual how it's seated, risk, all just feed in and make it clear this is a high risk project. And it doesn't even, it doesn't really have a, um, it, it would be categorized as a cash flow property on your different strategies. So just to remind us, we're talking about um, on the complexity versus 
time continuum, we're looking at, um, so the greater the complexity, the higher the risk. Uh, you know, fairly low time is your value add. Now you could certainly hold it for longer, but uh, the maximum juice will be fairly short. Um, the a development project is very very high. Um, your stabilized add value. is uh, just has that longer time horizon, but uh, has that high amount of, of complexity because really what you're trying to do is you're trying to um, identify what the below market rents are and then you're trying to um, also go to, uh, you're trying to make it so that you normalize that, normalize the vacancy to bring people up um, on your, on your less complex deals, you've got undervalued properties. This is almost like a flip, um, except you wouldn't be making any improvements. And then um, much more complicated is a cash flow property. I mean, much more time intensive is a cash flow property um, where you're just waiting for appreciation to take hold. So these are the, the basic strategies. So we've got three deals here and we've kind of outlined what we've got a bit. Now, I have my own beliefs on what, uh, what way we should go with this, but let's open up. So anybody wanna go off mute and say which one we think this is better for our fit and then uh, we'll go from there. Anybody go off mute? Oh, somebody's on triple chat. net. Triple net. Uh, okay, triple net. But what about the fact that it's a very high risk, and your fat, your fit score is a moderate to low risk strategy? You want to go off mute? Well, so I'm thinking. Oh, is that what it says? Very high risks. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've just been, I guess, a little more partial and biased towards um, triple net developments because it's a new construction. Uh, therefore, okay. you're not dealing with too many headaches in terms of maintenance, you know, complete tenant responsibility. Uh, B location sounds decent. Um, mm -hmm. That's why I'm not really understanding the very high risk yeah. other than it's a development yeah I suppose. well it's a development deal so it's very high risk so you've got you know anything can happen during that development cycle you just will probably come into it with a lease that's been put in place but hasn't really been they haven't even moved in yet so they may decide never to occupy it because it doesn't exist right it's just ground um, and what happens when the city uh decides not to give permits or they like to slow things up it's not high risk in terms of they're gonna lose all their money because that's probably not too likely um but that three-year hold can become a five-year hold or a six-year hold, which just kind of quashes your return down. And suddenly you look like a chump for telling your investors they'll get the money back in three years um, when it's now been six years. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're saying that, I mean, that does, uh, that's true I, to an extent, but at the same time, I feel like if you just hold it longer, you're just, you know, yeah. still get, taking well, cash flow. It's not the worst position to yeah. be in. Right. Sure. That's that's a, a valid thing. Does anybody think another property would be good? And I'm assuming, sorry, that the triple net development has a signed tenant already in place. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You wouldn't look at it if it wasn't. Does anyone else have a opinion? Wilson, Xavier, Zapier. Nah, Wilson's all right. Wilson's all right. Yep. Yeah. What do you like about it? Uh, I like the lower risk. The cap rate seems pretty high going in. You don't have to raise that much money compared to the other two. 
yep. it's a desirable product. Yeah, I would say, I mean, if I were choosing, I would choose Wilson. And I actually have underwritten that Wilson for this project. So Wilson is the correct answer, but they all are actually, they're all correct, except Zapier. I think it's a terrible property. So um, Wilson is a, is actually the, the one I would recommend based on a couple of things. So it would be based on its, its moderate risk, which matches your founder investment theory. So what the point I'm trying to make here is this is a great return that you get with this, but it's also taking you very much outside of your uh your, your founder investment theory. So you've got now a high-risk product. So you've spent all this time cultivating these investors. And when you're trying to match them up to it, suddenly you're bringing them a very high-risk product. It's going to be hard to make the case that um, they should go into it when you've been telling them, hey, we're, we're all about low risk or moderate risk. And and suddenly you're bringing this, uh, this development piece, which is going to be hard to convert. Uh, the dollar amount is a concern because it's, as you said, it's uh, it's four and a half million on Xavier, um, and uh, it it just isn't uh, quite there. What also I think is important is that you've got this these eight tenants with a billboard and a cell tower because there's probably a value add component to this. So, oops, get my there we go. So what we do with this from this point is, so now we've, we've identified these three properties and what we've just done is we put them through a funnel. And so first, the first thing we've done is we've looked at them through the lens of how do they fit with your founder investment theory? The next lens we look at it through is we do a basic underwriting. And then the last fit, uh, or the last uh, step is probably to survey some investors. You know, of the people in your list, is this something that they would be interested in? Uh, you're going to cut out a lot of the making mistakes about doing something that you think is right. Uh, and I think what would happen is if you were to bring Xavier to them, you'd probably find out that you have a problem with your risk, man, uh, with your your risk profile for the investors not matching up with the investors. So out of out of this, you know, ultimately you've got a shiny new property that you've identified. That's it shining. And so let's share the other screen. Let's share my uh, spreadsheet. Show the um, uh, just a basic underwriting. We'll probably go through underwriting in part two of this because I want to get kind of through the whole deal first, and then come back to uh, the. Let's stop the share. There we go, and then we'll share again. Uh, and then I'll share again what the um, uh, then what we'll go through and go through more detailed like projected cash flows and and how we got to to where we got. Uh, so let me make this a little bit bigger because I know the screen is probably a little small on your side, so not that big. There we go. Okay, so um, this is one way to do it. This I'm actually rebuilding these sheets um, so that y'all can uh, see them a little bit better uh, and use them better. So these, this is the original version that I have of how I calculate projections uh, and do my very basic underwriting. And then, but we are gonna rework this to make it more useful for you. Uh, now it'll be in the next couple of weeks, we'll have nice spreadsheets for that.
Um, so, but basically it starts with your acquisition cost, 3.3 million. I build in uh, a reserve account for pretty much any kind of investment to make sure that we can cover costs. 50,000 is probably a little low uh, for a property like this, but we'll, we'll use it for the time being. Uh, the cost of startup, this is really just your filing fees for the entity. This is the uh, ma basically making sure you get reimbursed for the things that have been out of pocket, like like the filing fees or your form D is is free, but your filing with your local state does cost money um, or, you know, getting an accountant or your your printing costs, et cetera. Your cost of financing really is just loan points in in this particular scenario. So you can take point you can take uh, cost of financing and add that to your uh, your costs as well. Uh, to that would ultimately go to the syndicator. But for what here what I'm using in this scenario is a just a very simple calculation uh, that shows. Um, just the loan points. And that's just a 1% loan point plus $10,000 to cover any additional costs like uh, your appraisals, et cetera. You've got your acquisition fee. Now this is just your brokerage fee. Uh, so this is getting a 2% brokerage fee on the, on the purchase price. So the cost to fund this uh, is basically takes into account all of these costs, and then it subtracts the loan amount here. So this is the amount of equity you ultimately of of money that you ultimately need to raise. Um, so I did this based on a thousand dollars a share, so one thousand three hundred and three shares. And then giving you as the syndicator a 20% off the top. You've, you're buying this property at a good IRR. And we'll go through this in the in the next video about the next call about that balancing about the IRRs that you think would be acceptable and you getting paid as much as you can. I think that you could take 20% off the top and I've done it. Uh, so that's why I think you can, um, whether you could take more than 20%, I don't know. And a project like this, probably not, uh, but you could probably take 20% off the top as your equity. So that ultimately looks something like that they've got a, that your total number of shares in your company itself is 1564. Um, and then ultimately it has an IRR of 18.7%. So that's that's a good IRR. It's actually on the high side for that moderate to low moderate, low risk profile. Um, and I think you would do that by basing your uh, making sure that your investors know that where the risks are and what that this really does kind of more categorize under that lower risk. And we'll go through that too again in the in the next call. So let's uh, let me stop my share. All right, does that make sense so far about the underwriting piece and uh, how we get through the fit and we've ultimately got a good selection to go forward with? Are there any questions at this point? Actually, I do, but it's um, to play around with the math of how everything's calculated yeah. just my understanding but that i think is going to take some time so maybe I yeah so that's what time. we'll do in the other call in the next call so then we'll go we'll go much more deep on the underwriting so that way you can see how that all works out and how you kind of play back and forth to make those numbers work for you does that make sense yeah great all right any other questions okay great all right so now let's Share. So we're back here. You've got this big, shiny new building, and you know it's the right one. What is the next step? The next step is to commit. So you need to make a commitment. 
you need to make it happen. Somehow you need to lock this property up because it may not be forever uh, in existence forever. Now, if this was a property that was on the market, uh, you would need to put it into escrow. If it's not on the market, maybe you could just lock it up with uh, maybe an option to buy. Uh, whatever works for you. Now, typically we're putting 3% down. I'm not telling you anything you guys don't know uh for that property um and so three point uh you know we're talking a, a significant amount of money here we're talking you know over ninety thousand dollars uh that is going down for that property and so the answer to the question that we get a lot is what happens if i don't have that ninety thousand dollars the the way to the only way to get around that issue is uh is one of two scenarios. So you could either, as you were surveying your investors and seeing if they would be very interested in a property like this, you could elevate one of those investors and bring them into a deal that basically has them front the money for the 90,000 down in exchange for some kind of increased return to stay in the project. Maybe it's something like, okay, they give you the 90,000, they put it in there, you put a contract that makes sure they get their money back if it falls through, um, but that's gonna count as you know, $100,000 of their investment and you'll just take that part out uh, or, uh, of the of your earnings that additional 10 that bridges the gap from 90 to a to 100,000 um so that would be one way to do it uh, another way would be to borrow it um and so to find somebody who will who will do a, a loan to you it's going to cost you um but it won't cost you 90,000 it'll cost you less if if it's a property you're committed to and you know you're getting uh, are going to be closing on that property it's it's probably worth the risk to borrow that money for a short period because you know at least you're getting your brokerage fee in addition to that money and so you could use that's the money that you could use to basically pay that uh pay that borrowed uh, down so you'd get that 90,000 back in the deal uh but you'd also get whatever the costs are to finance that through the deal you could also get it have it just be part of your cost of financing in the deal as well um so Ultimately, you get to finally make a commitment. Now, let's go, let's go to this side. Um, so you now go down a path. I have to give myself enough room here. Where you have, are doing two things at the same time. On one hand, you're syndicating. On the other hand, you are running a transaction. So because you are the buyer, you're you know, obviously in that transaction mode, but you're doing more than that, right? Because you are trying to, you're syndicating it as well. So let's go through the, um, the syndication steps in order that that we first need to get done. So the first thing we need to do is we need to form that entity. And so we need to form an entity that will be the syndication, basically the the company that has membership units that gets to that your investors are buying into in order to go uh, in order to become members of, uh, that is the syndication. So most of the time, this is going to be an LLC. Um, there, it, there are a few exceptions, primarily if you're doing pools, uh, where you may not do an LLC. Um, but if you, uh, if this is a single property, most of the time, that's just going to be an LLC. Uh, now the next part, the next 
thing that you're going to have to decide is what I consistently call the alphabet soup. And I think we've talked about that here, and it's certainly in the knowledge library too. Uh, the alphabet soup is that decision on how exactly, what exception to the SEC rules you're gonna come under. Now, I'm gonna go under the assumption that for this property, you are bringing in some investors that you've talked to uh, over here in um, survey investors, and you're bringing some investors that you've been building up just in your investor, you know, on your list uh, that are likely to come in. But I'm gonna guess that you're probably gonna fall short a number of people, and hopefully it's a small number, um, but it may be more than a few number. So which means we've got to advertise, which means we don't have time probably to do a, a reg A offering. So, because that's going to take a minimum of six months, probably nine months in order to get through. We don't have that long. Uh, so the only way really to get around this, or, or we could put it to a reg CF, but then we've got the entire issue of we're building on a portal and we don't really own the investors. Um, and then there are costs associated with the reg CF. Um, so I'm going to go with an assumption that you've decided that this is a, that it's gonna go under reg 506C, which means you're gonna need accredited investors, but you can advertise. Um, and that will play into the rest of the things that we are doing. So that it's an important decision because you kind of need to know at the outset of setting it up, not for the entity though, but for the next step, which is building your PPM. So PPM stands for Private Placement Memorandum. Its purpose is a few things. Uh, and I should uh, just kind of asterisk, technically under a 506C, you do not need to do a PPM. Um, I think that would be a really huge, gigantic mistake uh, because of all the things a PPM gives you. So what does a PPM give you? Well, first, it's a platform where you can tell the investors all the risks that are in, associated with the property. So that's everywhere from this is a new company, uh, real estate is volatile. I mean, it's not as volatile as Bitcoin, but it's certainly volatile. Uh, it is a um, that the risks uh, uh, are inherent in um, with the business risks of the tenants, things like that. And there is uh, so the there is the the PPM video in the knowledge library should be uploaded by uh, beginning of next week. So there, this will have that all in great detail there. Um, but this is just to give you a, an overview of, of what it is. So it gives you, it, it's to tell everybody, okay, these are all the risks. It's who the manager is, which is you. And I, Cannot spell who the manager is, you, uh, how you get paid, paid, which means that really what you're doing here is you are disclosing everything you can possibly think of. I like to think of the, so the PPM's job is this first it is its purpose is for to disclose and to make sure all the risks are on the table but i think that it is 
uh, would be unfortunate to not do the opportunity to market using your PPM. So I would think of the PPM more as a, think of it as a marketing tool that is subtly inserting these things into it, not like in tiny print, but it's in print that is so long and boring that probably your investor may not necessarily go through in as much detail. And it certainly isn't as compelling or as interesting as these, because none of these are really surprising ultimately. But if there's ever a disagreement and you ever get God brought up and uh, to say, well, they never told me, you can be easily pull out your PPM and point to it and say, I told you it's right here in, in your PPM. I gave it to you, you signed you and acknowledged you got it. Um, so that's the role of the PPM. So it's not mandatory under a 506C, except to me, it kind of is. I would not even consider doing one without it. So the next thing that you're doing is your operating agreement. Now, this has many, many, many things that are in the PPM. It has uh, not your disclosures, but it has how you get paid, how voting's done, things like that. And in fact, you could also look at the PPM as the, um, the summary um, or the um, uh, plain language version of that operating agreement, because it really is. Um, and so the operating agreement, though, is the ultimate controlling thing. It's the contract. It's how your company runs. And it ultimately becomes, first, it starts off as the, as the contract between the company that doesn't really exist at this point, uh, but the, the company and you and sets up all those rules. So it's that uh, it's more than the constitution of the of the property. It is the you know every law of the land about how the the company works. And so you are you start off as the only signer to the operating agreement, uh, unless and I'll just another asterisk unless you did this where you got your um, your investor to put up the down payment, he's probably going to be a signer on the operating agreement as well. Um, and then out of the op, so you sign, so we're just gonna put you for right now, I'm just gonna make that assumption. And then the last step that you need to prepare is the subscription agreement. Sub. Because the operating agreement is signed at one point in time. So you're the only person in existence when you're putting this together. So you're the only one who could sign it. What the subscription does is it says, okay, I agree that I'm going to be a part of this in exchange for money. Um, so uh, this is what your investors will sign. Okay, now this, this series of steps here, this is a sprint. Actually, I'm gonna add one more step. And that is your marketing material. Because this is stuff that will set you up to look like a pro and uh, help the investor see that you know what you're doing um, and so that could be anywhere from your brochures, which you should have, uh, your sales funnel, which you should have, uh, maybe it's on your website, uh, which you should have, um, all those things that are necessary to market it, you know, for marketing. So this is a sprint. You are 
uh, and this is all under the in the core. If you remember the core company operations, rally and exit, this all falls under operations. Oops. Oops. Rally. And then form. So that's that hierarchy, right? So it's operations underneath operations, uh, or I'm sorry, rally is its own thing. So it's under rally, uh, then form. So it's the subtopic of, uh, of rally. Uh, so now we've got everything that we need, everything set up, and we've sprinted to get this done. I mean, you've got an escrow that's going to take place in very little time. You need to get it done. And so let me move this out of the way. Um, you've got a, an escrow that's going to close in, say, you know, say you were able to get 90 days, that's not a lot of time because the clock's ticking. You've got to get uh, your one point, um, almost oh, almost 1.6 million uh, funded and in your bank account before that day. Uh, right now, if this all fell apart, you're still getting your down payment back. Uh, you just went through a great deal of process in order to to get done. But so the longer you're taking on this sprint to the finish, so sprint to get to the form, uh, the the worse off you're going to be. So that's why we uh, want to really just get it done as quickly as possible. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily even wait for your getting your entity paperwork back. Uh, I wouldn't wait uh, until doing it. I would just get everything going because ultimately um, you're going to need to get it done. And actually, one thing I wanted to mention too, is once you have your operating agreement, you can take that to the bank, uh, not in terms of actual getting money from them, but in order to open that bank account uh, because you need a place to put that money. And uh, I'm going to go with the assumption here that you're going to just deposit investor money into your account versus putting it into an escrow account. Most of the time, it's not been an issue uh, with investors. Uh, and uh, if it is, then you could always do it through an escrow account if, if that's what's necessary. So you've You've gone through this. Now, at the same time, you've got stuff you're doing to close your transaction, too. I mean, primarily, you're working on how are you going to finance this, right? So you are making your, you're getting your loans, you're getting to loan commitment, you're doing what you need to do on that, on that piece. And that still actually has an interplay between the PPM and the finance and, uh, and those loan docs. So it's going to change how things work. It's going to change what the loan terms are. So there are things that are going to be changing back and forth as you're committing them. And that's okay that your PPM changes. So say it takes you 10 days to finish a PPM from the start of the process. Uh, it's okay that on day 15, suddenly the ball's shifted and you need a different amount of money or you need a different thing, uh, you basically can reversion out your PPM. Anybody who's received the PPM before, before you accept a subscription agreement, you would give them a new updated PPM or a summary of this is what's changed in the PPM since we've done it. So it's actually not a problem that the PPM changes. Uh, your operating agreement probably isn't going to change. Um, but your subscription agreement, I mean, but your PPM, it will probably change through this process. So you're doing everything you need to do in order to get your loan. You're also doing all of your due diligence. And I would include in um, maybe in my marketing material, certainly all the good news I would include in my marketing material I've uncovered through due diligence. Um, and I probably would put, um, you know, anything that was surprising 
were bad, I probably would put in an appendix in the uh, in the operating agreement. So you're making all those disclosures. I'm sorry, not the not the operating agreement in the PPM. So that way you've been making disclosures. You don't want this deal to go down at the end of the day and then say, well, you knew that this had a dry cleaner on it before and there was possibly a risk of, of environmental and you didn't tell me. You, you don't want that. So you want to be communicating it. Um, the good news, make it real front and centered. The not so good news, disclose it, but you don't have to broadcast it like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. So we've got, uh, now we've got the, uh, so this, this sprint to the, this sprint that's been taking place here is now done. The next thing we are doing is what we talked about last week. And that is our investor target lock. Now I have something to give the investors who've invested money with me, right? So now I have all these things. So when they say, okay, great, I'm interested, I'd like to sign up. I've now suddenly told them, I've got, um, you know, okay, here's my PPM, here's my operating agreement, here's a subscription agreement when you're ready, and oh, and here's all my marketing collateral as well. Um, so that way you're looking like, uh, you are ready to do this deal. Now, you're gonna get uh, two different kinds of people that are part of the investor target lock. You are gonna get people from your list, from the people that you've already identified who you want. And then you're gonna get the people who you just don't know yet. That is why you did a 506C. So that you could get those people that you don't know yet, even if they don't uh, join with you, you are going to add them to your list uh, because they may still invest in the future. Now, under our investor target lock, What we're trying to do is get a yes. I want to invest. So we start first with our um, communicator message. You've got to get their attention and that could be setting up a meeting. It could be something as simple as that, doing a phone call, whatever. You've got to get them a message. Uh, you could also send a broadcast email. It's just probably not going to actually get read very quickly, um, but you could, uh, I would follow it up with phone calls, whatever you gotta do. You've gotta communicate that message. Next, you've gotta capture their permission to talk about it in detail, because if they're not open to hear it, you're, not, you're wasting your time. So capture that permission, set a meeting, get a time to actually talk with them. Most of the time, you're gonna do one-on-one -on -one meetings in order to talk about the deal, make them feel appreciated, make them understand what the deal is, answer any questions. Um, can we create, Carrie asked, uh, can we create an entity beforehand? Sorry, you probably asked that earlier. Um, Yes, you absolutely can uh, create a entity beforehand. So if you think your entity, um, so if you're ready to, if you want to just set up this entity, absolutely you can do it. Um, it would just, it because most of the time, you the entity can be whatever. Uh, you may not know the name that ultimately you would ideally pick for it uh, because, for those entities, we tend to use either the address or the name of the property, but it doesn't really matter. You could choose like your, whatever the name of your company is, and you could put investment one. Uh, so it could be, you know, XYZ investments, inv uh, XYZ properties, investment one, fund one uh, would be a totally valid entity name. Uh, and that way you're just, 
marking it out. So just from a marketing point, it's kind of nice when you know the name, but uh, you can form that immediately so you can get started faster. Um, so after capture convic uh, permission, we need to convert the mindset. And that's making a case of why this property is the best property for them to go into. And ultimately, we are looking to get a yes. Um, that's, that's the goal. So you've gone through now, you've talked to all of your investors, you've got a bunch of people who are starting to say yes. The next step for each investor is uh, a three-step process that we refer to as the latch. And there, the first step is to accredit. This takes a couple of days. Uh, because you're coming in as a 506C, they need to be accredited investors. They need to be um, investors that uh, either have uh, the million dollars of net worth over, uh, aside from their family residence, or that have uh, $200,000 in income if they're just counting themselves, 300,000 for them. But somebody needs to accredit them and give a third party certificate. So uh, we use Early IQ. I'll put the, a link to them in, a, in one of the, the lists. You can use them, you can use whoever you want in order to get that uh, accreditation, but it should be a third party uh, that really does this accreditation that issues a certificate because that certificate is what you're going to hold on to to say that you did your job. Uh, after we accredit, we accept that money. And so that's giving wiring instructions and making sure that it goes in. I would probably always recommend you use wire uh, rather than check. Uh, checks uh, do have a greater potential for fraud than wire instructions, um, so, than wiring, uh, even though there is a, a lot of news about wire fraud, there's, there is a lot of rights that are given to people who have checks and fraudulent checks uh, do exist and can basically put you in a really bad spot. So I would say wire is the best way. Uh, and there's a very nice audit trail and you're never touching the money, which is great. Um, it, uh, it, until it's in your bank account. Uh, then you ha we have a test. And this is the circling back to the investor and let them know, okay, here is right where we're at. So, um, so this is communicate position. So they have X number of dollars received. We are closing on such and such date. Um, and we'll keep you informed of anything that goes on. And the purpose of here is it's not required, but it would be a big mistake not to do it because you're, you've got somebody here who's probably given you at least $50,000 and they probably are a little bit shaky about having done that. And you don't want that shakiness to go forward in time that for them always to have that. If you communicate right away and make it clear that, you know, you've got their money, it's received, everything's looks good from your end. Um, they're, they're going to be happy and their minds are going to be put in, put to rest. So as you build up your bank account, I mean, ultimately, this probably looks fairly faint right now. Uh, ultimately, you've got a big uh, pool of money. You're winding down. You transfer this money into escrow. For those of you in non-escrow states for where lawyers do transactions, for us, all escrow, or for most, for maybe uh, more than half of the states, 
most as what we do through escrow is we put all of our money into a, a third party who holds that for us and they close the transaction. Whereas in a non-escrow state, oftentimes you'll lodge that with a lawyer and there's an actual formal thing that takes place over a table uh, in order to complete a transaction. So when I say escrow, I'm being very general in terms of we just put it into this transaction, into this, this bucket until it's ready to be distributed. Uh, and so we'll even draw a little bucket there. Uh, and then finally, you get to the close. You've closed the transaction and you communicate that to your investors. This is, so this is kind of the, boy, we got, we went from small to big. Uh, so <laughs> we started up here with a few properties that we identified. We sorted them out in using our Fed and by underwriting, and then ultimately surveying our investors to finally find which one we're going to choose. Once we commit, at that point, we're really up against the clock. And so that's, that's where your heart starts beating a little bit more because you want to get this deal done, uh, but you also don't wanna lose your money or investor money. Um, so we've got the two paths going on. You've got the syndicating path where we're sprinting at first to get everything in place. So that way then all we really have to focus on on the syndication side is getting the investors lined up through the investor target lock. And then of course, we're just working through at the same time to close the transaction on the other side. You're always probably going to be trying to get as much time as possible uh, because you would much rather you be in the driver's seat in order than the um, than the seller in the driver's seat in order to get there. But ultimately, you raise the money, you get the money all into the bucket, and you close the property. Now, there's probably questions um, from that, and I know we went really quickly through a lot of these things. So, any questions? Oops. Oops. There we are. Okay. Any questions yet? No, it's a lot to digest. So yeah, it's very next, overwhelming. Oh. So that's why <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I don't know what to ask, but it's, I would need to review everything again, I guess. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to do it this way, uh, because I wanted to show I, I didn't want to get us to get into a position where the where the forest was being lost through the trees. I wanted it to be uh, so you have an idea of of all of the steps that take place. And then as we go through each module, it becomes a little bit more, it makes a little bit more sense as to how it all fits in. So that was really the purpose for it. I think we did that here. Um, and then next time, what we're going to do is sort of twofold. Uh, it's going to be more about money than anything else. So I want to do first, I want to go a deep dive into just how we do underwriting to see if this is a deal that's going to make sense. And then also how much are we going to make because we're doing this to make money. Uh, and then the second half of that would be to go through exactly how that works now that we've underwritten it. How do we do the transaction after it's closed? How do we run the property? So manage the asset from, from the point of closing to deciding when it's time to sell uh, and how the money works along the way for you and ultimately for your investors. Um, and so there's that has its own things that take place at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Perfect. Uh, are there any other questions? Uh, did you find this useful? So was this a was this a helpful uh, exercise? Yes, very much. I wasn't aware of everything that is in the back of all of these activities, the planning, and all the points that need to be touched. It's it's a lot. Great, thank you. Uh, Christian, Carrie, what do you think? 
I think you're great. I know. You're doing great, great work. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Carrie, was this helpful? Yeah, had a problem getting unmuted there. Yes, very helpful. I guess okay. for me, I'm just not clear about all the steps on the commercial real estate, that transaction. So maybe later Perfect. on, yeah. we could maybe go into that a little yeah. bit more. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very similar, um, but there's, um, yeah, we can easily outline all of all of what that is um, and make sure that, that it's clear. Right. And just, I guess, how, how to lock it in and the minimum yeah. time and money and all that. So, I, but, but this was sure. very good. Thank you, Tilden. Excellent. I appreciate it. All right. Well, uh, thank you all. Uh, I think we had a great session today. And uh, next week, uh, like I said, we're going to go through the second part of the deal deconstructed. Uh, so that way we can see just how all the money works for us and for our investors.